Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mom Podcast. This week, I'm joined by sommelier Jessica Waugh, who is the founder of JWA Education, which is a wine, spirits, and hospitality education website company that she founded. Jessica is probably one of the most certified professionals in the wine and spirits uh, industry to date. Uh, she's definitely the most certified website we've had on the podcast. She has more certifications in the world of wine than I could really count. I think I probably lost track when trying to go through kind of all of them with her during the course of this podcast, but she's passed pretty much everything except for like the master of wine, which she still might do. Um, but we kind of get into that a little bit, but as for kind of her current rank, I consider her a master sommelier. She passed the master sommelier exam, but she was part of that unfortunate group back in 2018 that uh, had their results wiped and they had to retake it because of the information leak cheating scandal uh, that happened. Other things uh, evolved from that too as well. But she gets into all that, you know, how going through that process was, you know, why she kept taking certifications before that, after that, during that same time period too as well. Like I said, she's been certified on almost everything you can think of. And we'll probably do, um, like I said, the master of wine here, probably I would imagine in the next couple of years. And it's not because she wants to be better than everyone else. Like, I mean, she's competitive, but it's because she is an educator and that's her thing. Like that's what she really enjoys is learning and educating people about wine. And her website is fantastic. The study materials on there are super in-depth. She has it broken out all these different study guides, but all the exams that you could take if you were ever interested, uh, bourbon exam, wine exams, all the different levels, different regional exams too as well. She has information on kind of all the different uh, certification bodies, whether it's the court or WSET or whatever, and kind of how to approach. It's just fantastic information. I use it myself. It's awesome to kind of see somebody who's reached her level put kind of all this together and share it, you know, and like she even gets into, she could easily, you know, make it a subscription thing or whatever, but she just wants it to be out there and kind of to be, you know, free for everyone. And and she has other aspects, you know, there's private tutoring, tasting groups that she does too as well. There's like life coaching. And she also just recently launched a wellness brand too as well. So you can find that too, where kind of a little bit more health focused. Uh, she went and got basically a really, really high level certification in the world of like health and launched this kind of sister company to JY Education called JY Wellness. And that kind of taps into different nutritional aspects, you know, some dietary stuff too, as well, just from basically her experience going through figuring out what works for her, what doesn't, why do I feel sick when I eat this kind of all that stuff too, which I think every single person is a little bit different and, and we all react differently to different foods or ingredients and everything like that too, as well. And that stuff changes over time. There's stuff that we eat as kids. I used to eat as a kid that I cannot eat now. It makes me feel just deathly ill and I just can't do it. And some of that probably is the company has changed some of the ingredients, but it's probably also that, you know, I don't have some of those things regularly. Like I don't eat, you know, cereal with a bunch of food dyes regularly. So my system just, my body just doesn't work anymore for your kid. And if you're kind of eating all that stuff all the time, it maybe works out better. And again, I'm not a nutritionist, but this is my own personal uh, experience there. So, but you can follow her on Instagram at JWA education. You can also follow her other business that she just launched at JWA Wellness. You can check out the websites to both of those 
platforms that she has, both those businesses. It's just jyeducation.com, jywellness.com. And they're fantastic. They're high level, done really well too as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of the wine. I haven't checked out uh, too much of the wellness one yet, but I've definitely been a big fan of the wine and just going through my process and everything um, with learning. And it's just a valuable resource that I get to check out, you know, whenever I feel stuck or, you know, I'm trying to look at something different or just a different mode of education and studying or, or whatever. Um, and she has a bunch of different products too, uh, wine maps, jur- tasting journals, all that kind of stuff too. So check it out if it's something that you're interested in in the world of wine or getting into the kind of the world of spirits too as well. All that information is kind of up there if it's something that you're thinking about um, checking out. But follow us on Instagram too as well at Spoon Mob. Check out our website, spoonmob.com. We have all our pictures up there from all the places uh, that we've had on the podcast links to all the direct episodes uh, with each one of our guests. Uh, we keep updates too as well. So since they've been on the podcast, we keep track. Uh, if they've opened a new restaurant and they left a restaurant and moved somewhere else, so they got um, some sort of event coming up that they're doing. We, we put all that up there in the bio, kind of cover it the next time that they come back on the podcast and kind of reset it and uh, continue kind of the ever evolving loop there with people changing course uh, over careers and, and getting into new things and, and tackling kind of new challenges. So make sure to also follow, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find us on any podcast platform. You can either go to that app or platform, whatever, search Spoon Mob will come up. You'll see our orange and white logo. Um, you can go through our website to get to specific episodes, or we have a master list that runs to as well of every single episode that's got a link to it. You can check out our Instagram Go through the link in our bio. That'll take you to a link tree, which can take you to any platform that you want. Uh, You can also click on the links that we provide every time a new episode comes out too as well. So there's a bunch of different ways to find us. Uh, If for some reason you can't find us on a platform, hit us up, let us know, either through the contact portal on the website, or you can email us directly, spoonmob.yahoo.com. But uh, we're on everything. Uh, The only change I think that's coming is Stitcher is shutting down um, sometime here this month, uh, I think towards the end of August, I think it was August 29th. So if that's a platform that you use, you got to switch to something else, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, those are all still available and we're on all those too as well. Without any further delays, here is my conversation with sommelier Jessica Waugh of JWA Education. Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast and taking some time out of your day. You have a lot going on. Um, you might be the most accomplished wine professional that we've had on the podcast, just based off the amount of certifications that you hold alone is probably double what the next person has had. Uh, and we've had, you know, some master sommeliers on in too, which I want to get to that with you because you are one, but you were part of that whole group that had tests invalidated because of the whole information scandal. And But I first learned about kind of what you had going on Really, it was from uh, Justin, who was on the podcast previously. He mentioned just if anybody was studying, like this is kind of like one of the places you should check out is your website and everything that you have going on. And there is an incredible amount of detailed knowledge on there, not just from a wine perspective, but there's beer, there's sake, there's all this stuff, courses. So I want to get into all of that. But I always start at the beginning with everybody um, because I think context is important. So how did you kind of yourself first get started with wine because you were an architect and went through that whole process before you got into wine. So where did kind of the love affair with wine first start for you? 
the love affair with wine first started before I was legal because I was in Italy. So in Italy, I was legal to drink, but um, in the US, I wasn't. And I was on a trip with my high school boyfriend and we spent a week in Germany and a week in Italy. And I was right in the heart of Mosul and had no idea where I was or what was going on. And now I'm like, dang, I wish I would have known back then what I was actually experiencing at the time. And there's like these wine festivals that they have down in the heart of Rheingau. And then we spent a week in Italy and, you know, in Italy, you go and you just order a carafe of wine. And I'm like, man, this is delicious. And it's like two euros or three euros or whatever it was at the time. This is like almost 20 years ago. I got the bug somehow, although I never had the intention of being in the wine industry. As you mentioned, I went through architecture school and certified residentially as an architect. I designed my grandmother's house and that's the only house I did. I, I left the industry before I really got into the industry because I got into the wine industry. And so when I moved to Las Vegas in 2010, the architecture world was at a null. We were still in a recession basically here. You could not get an internship for free even because there was like no work to be done. And I grew up in restaurants. So I was like, okay, well, there's a million restaurants out here. I can just go work at a restaurant until the economy turns around. And I was working at Todd English Pub at the time. And a really dear friend still to this day came in and did a wine class. And I was like, that's cool. I want to learn more about that. So I'm someone, as you mentioned, I have a lot of certifications. It's not to show I have a lot of certifications. I just really like learning. And so I took classes to learn more about wine because I was like, well, I don't have anything else to do. I might as well just learn. And I started with the International Sommelier Guild, which is a fine program. I had no wine experience and the court was really daunting to me because they didn't have classes. It was a lot of self-study. And I was like, well, I don't even know what I'm doing. Self-study. I want something that is a course and like actually guides me. And going through that program, I was in the diploma program and my teacher was like, hey, anybody interested in a junior sommelier position at our company? We're hiring. I was going to be an architect. I had no interest. So I left. The next week, she was like, hey, we still have that job opening. If anybody's interested, come see me after class. I wasn't interested. I didn't go see her. And she goes, Jessica, come here. I want to talk to you. And I was like, yeah, what's up? And she goes, how come you haven't come and talked to me about the job? And I go, well, I mean, I think that's kind of obvious, right? I, I'm not interested. So I didn't come talk to you. And she goes, well, I think this would be a really good fit for you. You're already in the restaurant business. You love learning about wine. You're just doing this for fun. Why not have it be a career? I was like, well, because I'm going to be an architect. And she's like, why? And I kind of gave her a little bit of my spiel. And she's like, well, I mean, you could be a psalm while you're waiting. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess I could. And she goes, well, you have interview Thursday, so you might want to show up. And I was like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> and so I'm 22 at the time. And I go to this interview. They're asking me so many questions. I had answers to. One of the most memorable questions they asked me is, what wine do you have in your fridge right now? I was 22. What wine does a 22-year-old have in their fridge? It was layer cake, which is nothing wrong with layer cake. But I mean, I don't drink it now. I mean, it's a beautiful wine to you go, get people in the in the wine world about because it's very approachable. But um, I was super embarrassed to tell a wine person that I had layer cake in my fridge. And I, I felt like it was the worst interview of my life. I had 
no answers to a lot of the questions that they asked. And a week later, I get a phone call and they're like, Hey, you're hired. When can you start? And I was like, what on earth are you hiring me? It was, that's my worst entire life. Why would you hire me? That doesn't make any sense. And they said, we can teach you anything you need to know about wine and running a program and being a sommelier. We cannot teach personality. We cannot teach hospitality skills and person, like people skills and things like that. So we want to hire you. And I was like, oh, well, why not? I'll just try it out. And um, I was working at Nine Steakhouse at the time. A very big UFC person would come into the restaurant and spend buco buco bucks. Um, and then tip the the staff about half of what he spent in the restaurant. And I got to try some really cool wines, happened to sell some really cool wines my first couple weeks there. And then the, I think it's my third or my fourth week there. Um, they were like, well, our Sam at Nove, who was my teacher, left. You can either work at Nove by yourself, which was an Italian restaurant with 400 covers coming CES, or you can stay down at Nine Steakhouse by yourself with 800 covers for CES. And I was like, those are a lot of covers in any of the places. What's this like? Like, what is Nove? And like, it's an Italian restaurant. And I was like, oh, I like Italian food. I like Italian wine. Let's try it. Let's go up there. Let's see. And it's on the 53rd, fourth floor, something like that. And so you have an incredible view of the Las Vegas Strip. I got my ass handed to me. That that many covers by yourself is just nuts. And so I got totally thrown into the fire for my first week. And then my second week working in the restaurant, I had this gentleman come in. Granted, I'm 22 at the time. I'm looking at the schedule for the day. And this gentleman walks in. He's like, hi, can I speak to your sommelier? And I was like, oh, that's me. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, why? That's me. How can I help you? And he was like, I would like a bottle of Macedo. Do you have Macedo? And I knew the name was on my wine list. And I knew I had the 2000 vintage and I knew it was really expensive. And I was like, yes, I do have that. Would you like to see the wine list? Because I was like, that's so expensive. Like, do you know how expensive it is? And he's like, nope, I don't need to see the wine list. I'm going to sit at the bar, bring three glasses over and come come open the bottle for me. And I was like, okay, it's a $2,000 bottle of wine on my wine list. I had never held anything that expensive in my entire life. I'm shaking because I'm so scared. The last thing you want to do is shake up a bottle of wine that you're trying to decant. And I get over there and I'm, it's terrible. I'm shaking so bad. And he's like, have you done this before? And I was like, I have, but I've never done it with something so expensive. And I'm just really scared. I don't want to hurt your wine. And he was like, well, maybe you should stop shaking it then. And I was like, okay, I'm really trying. And so I put it on the bar and I'm trying to open the bottle and I'm just, I'm, I'm still shaking so bad. And he goes, here, give it to me. He opens the bottle. He pours him a little taste. He pours a glass that is way larger than you should ever pour a glass of wine. And he leaves the third glass empty. And he hands me the really, really full glass of wine. He goes, thank you. Go away. And I was like, uh, I don't think I can have that. And he goes, yes, you can just take it, go. And I was like, um, and I'm like so nervous already and I didn't know what to do. And so I called my boss downstairs and I was like, this guy just gave me a giant glass of Macedo. Can I have it? Like, what do I do? And he goes, how did you sell the glass, the Macedo? I was like, I didn't sell it. He just came in and wanted it and I didn't open it very well. So he opened it. Um, I was like, I didn't do my job at all, but he gave me a really big glass of wine. Am I allowed to have it? And he goes, yeah, it's fine. So I had it sitting in the cellar and every single time I went in to grab a bottle of wine to serve, I would smell it and take a very small sip. And I got to see how over the course of about six hour shift or so, this wine evolved in the glass and that was my hook. 
I was done after that. Then I just started learning and exploring and got into teaching and, you know, the rest is history. With your career that came before in architecture, how difficult, how challenging is it to go through all that schooling? Similar to going to law school, similar to going to med school, because becoming an architect isn't an easy thing, but I just don't think people really understand what all goes into it. I wouldn't say it's hard, like medical school or law school or anything like that. There's no like huge exams you're having to pass or anything like that, but it is a lot of math, science-based. There's a lot of learning that architects create things that can't be built. And so it's a lot of working with other people to learn how to really build things and how to use your mind in a way that creates structurally sound dynamics. And if I was in commercial, it would have been a, a much more daunting feat for sure. But residential is not too bad. I might be making this sound easier than it is, but uh, it wasn't as hard as a medical degree or a law degree or something like that. When you kind of get into wine and, and you're working at this restaurant by yourself, you know, 800 covers, how many tables of that are you visiting? Are you visiting all of them to see if they want wine or are the waiters, waitresses, servers, they're going through the motions and then it's, if they want to order wine, then you're coming over. So like, are you visiting half the tables per night? I just love talking to people. So I probably touch more tables than I maybe needed to because I would talk to tables that didn't even have wine. But maybe over the course of the entire night, you're maybe touching a third. And if a table is ordering something like they know they're coming in, I want silver oak, I want canis, I want duck corn, I want the things that just sell themselves, I'm having the server do the opening and the selling of that because that table doesn't need a song. That table just needs someone who can open the wine. And so I would focus more. And luckily I had amazing staff that could open bottles and could talk about the easy to sell wines for sure. Um, where I wanted to come into play is like really having an experience for the guest and food and wine pairings, which is my absolute favorite thing to do. And just giving them an actual experience for the person who wanted to have a food and wine journey for that night. So you're working in restaurants in Las Vegas and you know, eventually you wind up at Gordon Ramsay steak, but you also, at one point you're both a, you know, lead sommelier, but eventually I think you become a wine director too, as well. So with all that, you know, normally when people reach kind of the wine director level, they kind of maybe bounce between wine director, general manager, beverage director, something like that. But they're always kind of in one of those roles where they go, but you wind up going the opposite way and actually just kind of leaving that, which is fairly unusual. Was that a conscious decision on your part? Did it just kind of work out that way? Did you not really want to be in restaurants anymore after going through it for a few years? Like what kind of led to that? My career is a little weird. So my first wine gig working for the Palms Hotel and Casino, um, I was the junior som to start with. And then within about six months, I became the wine director. And um, at the same time, becoming the wine director, I also became the acting GM. And so 22, 23 years old, I had the top wine gigs, restaurant gigs that you could have. And I was like, I'm not learning anything besides learning from my mistakes because I, it was just me. There was a wine director downstairs that I could reach out to and like have him help. But we're in two separate restaurants on basically two different parts of the casino. You just don't have each other. And I had been a server at Royals. Las Vegas at Mandalay Bay. I had always wanted to be a SOM there, but the turnover was like null. 
And I got really fortunate in creating a good group of camaraderie with who was there. So when they had a position open up, they said, hey, we have a position open up. If you're interested, you would be the runner and you would be maybe somming a little bit, but your focus would be running. And so I went from wine director, and that was my only time being a titled wine director, down to the lowest position you could be at Oriole. But the lowest position can be at Oriole, you're opening insane wines and having traditional service techniques. And you're learning from some of the most incredible people ever. Um, Willie Scherer was the master when I, master sommelier when I was there. And um, I loved learning under him. My good friend, Douglas Kim, who is now an MS, we both kind of grew up and learning and taking these exams together there at Gordon Ramsay. I also wasn't the wine director. Um, I helped the director and we kind of a dual role because he was very, I don't know, amazing to work with and was like, I know you know what you're doing, like, let's do it together. Um, but I never had the title. I got out of the industry because a couple of things. I started teaching at Gordon Ramsay and I was like, oh, I love teaching. I really love teaching. And also if you've been on the floor, it kind of hurts you. <laughs> um, it's not so good on the body. It's not so good on the soul. It's not so good on many things. You're working nights, you're missing holidays, you're missing so much with your family. At the time I was going for my advanced sommelier exam and Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits here in Nevada reached out and was like, hey, we want you to work for us. Um, what's that going to take? What's that going to look like? And I was like, well, I don't want to do sales, but I don't know what I want to do. I'm studying for my advanced exam. I really can't have this conversation with you. Like, talk to me afterwards. And we kind of had an idea that maybe education would be something that could happen. And then the advanced exam happened and I didn't pass my advanced on the first round. I missed, uh, I made a silent mission to myself that I was going to crush the exam the next year because that's the first time I ever failed anything in my life. And I happened to get the high score. And after that, Southern was like, oh my gosh, you got the high score. What can we do? Let's make a job for you. And um, I basically wrote my job description working with Southern and was the assistant director of education for quite a few years until COVID happened. And then I came back as the director of education post-COVID. And it education is just my jam. And so I left the restaurants for to become an educator focused and as well as just to have a little bit more balance in my life. When Southern Glazers kind of finds you, did you ever find out how they found you or is it just as a small community or did somebody kind of refer and was kind of like, Hey, you should talk to you know Jessica. She might be interested in doing this or how did that work? A mix of it all. So definitely small community. Psalms all know the Psalms out here. It's, I don't know, there's maybe like at the time, maybe 30 or 40 Psalms in the city and we all pretty well knew each other. Second is my mentor worked for Southern at the time, Ira Harmon, who was also a master sommelier. And he helped so much with tasting and theory. He um, helped me get, he was just kind of like my little wine guardian angel for a lot of my career. We still have lunch um, as often as we can and still catch up and hang out. But um, I think it was a mix of him putting my name in the hat, them kind of watching my career grow the way it did. And then the culmination of doing really well on the advanced exam, I think was kind of their thing. They wanted a female MS and they knew I was going to go for the master SOM um, exam. And so I think it was kind of like, Let's help groom her to become a master sommelier. You wind up getting, like you said, the high score when you take the advanced for the second time. Was that a personal goal of yours? Did you know that if you got the high score that you would also get the red scholarship? 
it was a personal goal of mine. It wasn't a personal goal to get the scholarship. It was a personal goal because I failed something and I didn't want to do bad again. I wanted to really crush it the next year. I'm a little twisted mentally like that. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm going to show that exam because it showed me kind of thing. And so it was more an internal competition goal with myself. I actually didn't tell a single soul that that was my goal. And then while we're sitting there waiting, they always call the the Rudd Psalm last, or they used to, I don't know if they still do. And granted, my last name is Wa, so who knows, it could be the last. And I was sitting there and one of my colleagues who was taking the exam with me, Norman Acosta, I was like squeezing his hand. He goes, I go, dude, I think I got my goal. And he was like, what? And I was like, I think I got Rudd. And he was like, that was your goal? And like, you crazy person, like, why would that be your goal? And then they said Red Skull and they called my name. And I just like, moment, as crazy as, as it, this sounds, that moment was a bigger moment for me than passing the MS exam. Do you think that'd be the same if, if you passed the MS exam when it was third or fourth try or whatever? Instead, it was basically your first try, right? Second try, but I think it's just because of the the personal goal I had and like, accomplishing that goal and like knowing I put that work in at that point, I knew I could put the work in. I knew I could work for the MS exam. I knew I could get it. But at that moment, like when I say the advanced exam is the first thing I ever failed in my life, I mean that like it crushed me not passing it. And I had to learn lessons of failure and all these things that all the big people talk about, like failure is like part of success and failure is this great thing. And I was like, fuck that failure sucks. Like, no, I I never want to feel this feeling ever again. And so I think it was more just proving to myself that I could do it. And that's why that moment was so special. Once you had the Rudd scholarship, did that change anything for you or your path? Or was that just kind of like the cherry on top of the Sunday, like the, you know, award at the end of the whole thing? Like, it was great to have that, but that didn't really matter for where you wound up going when you kind of look back on it? It was very helpful. You sit in this room. um, It's like two masters to every one candidate, I believe. And you get to ask all the questions. You get to feel what it's like sitting for those exams. You get to feel the pressure. You get to pick the masters you want to like do a theory session with and do a one-on-one tasting session with. And I mean, this isn't the best person to say because of the scandal that happened Um, most recently, but I picked Fred Dane because he was the first master SOM and he was like the hard ass, the one that you don't talk to. And little blonde old me is like, I pick you. And he's like, you got some balls. And I was like, let's do this. He crushed me, absolutely crushed me. But I learned, he taught me so much about why you pause and when you pause and what you think about when that question comes in and like the little pieces you listen to when you take that exam and like, how you can correlate that and how you just breathe. And he taught me so much about in like a matter of 30 minutes about how to prepare yourself mentally for that exam. And then I picked Jay Fletcher for my tasting because he's a tasting guru. Um, And again, like taught me so many incredible things about tasting. I thought I've, I've always been a terrible taster because I didn't pass advanced the first time and tasting got me. Um, I also have like, I had wisdom teeth extraction issues. And so half of my mouth goes numb about half of the time still to this day. And so sometimes I can't taste properly. I can only taste the structure and like, there's these very weird things. And so I've always thought I'm not a good taster. And he taught me how that I'm just not an instinctual taster. Like all of the tasters I was tasting with, I'm a deductive taster and knowing that that's a thing. And that's actually 
a lot of cases because it's like, this is now a math equation. It's not this like magic trick that you do, or you just put your nose in a glass and you know what it is. We have amazing tasters in Vegas and they are for the majority instinctual tasters. So I could never put my nose in a glass and say, this is such and such wine. I can never do that. And so I always thought I just wasn't a good taster until I tasted with him. And I learned, I was like, oh, okay, I am good. I just do it differently than a lot of everybody else does. The way I teach tasting, I focus on teaching deductive methods. Instead of blind tasting, I call it deductive tasting. And there's a lot of science behind a lot of it, which I think is important as well. And then at the time I met who became my partner. And for five years of my life, because I went to this program, I had a a great relationship with a really cool person who's still a a, a very dear friend of mine. And you got to meet a a few months ago. When you are getting ready for your master and you take it once, but you're going to have to work out the timeline because it gets a little, there's a lot going on in this 2016 to 2018 window. Cause so 2017, you wind up becoming an advanced sake professional. You also start Southern Glazers Academy of Sake and find service. The year after that, 2018, you take and pass the master. You also take WSET level two in spirits, WSET level three wine educator, Starting with kind of the sake, what led you down that path and wanting to not just get a certification in that, but then you create this essentially a a platform that didn't exist too as well. How did all that happen? When I was preparing for advanced, I did the Shen competition, the Young Sommelier competition that the Shen um, de Rotissiers, I don't say that properly. Um, Because I don't speak French, but um, they do this really cool competition for anybody under 30. I went just after passing my certified uh, for the first time. I I won regionals um, and then I went to nationals. Yes, I have that right. I was there and the people I was going against, most of them had sat for masters at least once. And I was like, oh, I'm out of my league but I'm going to learn something. So here we go. And in the service aspect, there's like four different tables that you visit and you have a service experience. And I love service. However, I know when I don't know things and I'm not a bullshitter, I'm very straightforward. I'm very blunt. And I get to this table and I can still picture it in my head. There's Christopher Bates, who's a master sommelier sitting here. And he was like, this table is the sake and beer table. And I was like, fuck. I didn't know anything about sake. Beer, I, I could I could handle my own in beer. I grew up in Colorado. We're a beer country. But sake, I didn't know anything. I, I couldn't even name a producer. And he was like, okay. And he started asking these sake questions. And I knew the basics is how it was made. So I answered those. And then he's like, we're going to have such and such dish. What sake do you recommend? And I go, I'm so sorry. We don't carry sake in this restaurant. And he was like, what? And I was like, nope, we don't carry any. And he goes... So I shouldn't ask you any more sake questions. And I was like, nope. <laughs> and he goes, okay, so I guess we're moving on to beer. And I was like, yeah, I got you. Let's go. Let's go beer. And at the end, he came over after the, after the service and he goes, girl, you got some balls. <laughs> Why would you ever say that? And I was like, because I didn't know any sake producers. And he's like, it's sake. It's a whole other language. You could have just made something up. And I was like, I don't bullshit. And he's like, clearly, but learn to bullshit. Like, this is how this world works. And I was like, yeah, I don't like that. I I don't want to learn to bullshit. And he's like, so we gave you points for having balls to just be like, nope, we don't carry sake. He's like, no one has ever done that ever. Don't do that again. Go work on your sake knowledge. And I was like, yep. 
And again, this was something that I didn't want to ever look like I couldn't do something. So I went full force into getting socket knowledge. And I did John Gottner's um, level one here in Vegas. And then I did his advanced sake professional in Japan, did the WSET three sake as well, and became an educator for WSET for sake. And then as I was researching and trying to find more information about sake, it's still kind of hit or miss. There's some website resources that have some information. There's some books, but like they only have this much information or only focus on this niche of sake production. And so I was like, you know what? This is silly. Like, I just want one place where I can have all the sake knowledge that I need. And I used, I don't even know, 15 or 20 different resources. All my resources are listed in the sake guides. And I was like, I'm just going to create this really cool. Half of it is beginner and half of it is as geeky as geeky can get. um, Because I really love the geeky side of things. It took me quite a few months to put it together, but I launched that... I think it was in 2021 um, that I launched that. And so I still think to this day, it is um, the most inclusive, like one-stop shop for everything you could want to know about sake. And that was really part selfish because I didn't want to have to keep going to like all these different books to find the answers of things. Um, I just wanted to have it all in one place, which was my website. And so a lot of my website is that. It's me wanting all of my information that is somewhere in my head to be in one place so I don't have to go searching in different places to try to remember, try to, try to find it. So my my website's a little self-serving, but um, it's helpful for others too. So When you do the WSET exams, you do level two in spirits, and then you do the level three wine educator one. Were you doing that in preparation of taking the master? Again, like this was another way that I could kind of study and prepare, or was that kind of the start of going away from kind of the court and really pushing into the education side of things? Or was it both? A little bit of both, but also something else. So um, at Southern, they teach their employees all kinds of education platforms. And so the corporate um, director of education, Eric Hemer, who's incredible, he's an MSMW. Um, I loved working with him. He was incredible to, to learn under. He was like, I want all of our educators to be WSET educators certified so we can teach our own staff um, all the program. Um, I was like, dude, I'm sitting for master's. Like, can I wait until after I finish? He's like, no, it'll be helpful for you. Just do it all at once. And I was like, oh, okay. And so we had a really abridged version. Um, and I think it's like a 20-week program or something like that you normally do. We did the program in seven weeks. It, it was one of the hardest exams I've ever taken because it's not the way that I have been programmed to take exams because the WSET, once you get to level three, it's a ton of essay writing. And it is essay writing to a company that is a British company. And they don't speak the way we speak in America. And they say brief. And brief means in America, like, give me five words. Brief in the world of, like, Britain, WSET is like, give me a paragraph. And I was failing, like, all of the practice exams of the essay exams. And I was like, how do I, how do, I do this? Like, this is so hard. I'm trying to, like, master's was on my route. Like I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I was like a little annoyed that I had to go through this program. Now I'm very happy that I went through it because I love the WSET program. And I love the way they focus on education and the way they um, administer all their materials. I really enjoy it. But at the time I was really annoyed that I had to do it all at once. When you're studying for all this stuff, was there a particular region that 
was especially challenging for you? Australia, Spain, Italy? It's the one that is sacrilege to say as a psalm. It was Burgundy. I didn't like Burgundy for so long and I hated studying it. And like every producer, like you had another producers versus the place. And there's this vineyard and this vineyard and that village and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I don't, I don't understand all of this. And it took me going to Burgundy. We had gone to all these amazing producers and Dujac was the one that I got the, the burgundy bug and now I have an expensive burgundy bug and that's not a good bug to have, but we were tasting wines and they're known for their reds, these really beautiful reds. And I was like, yeah, the reds are cool and all. And then we tasted, um, full of tears, Pouligny Montrachet. And I was like, oh, okay. I get it. I get burgundy now. I get why people really like this. And then we had gone to like Alex Gamble and Romasine and like quite a few others that are still favorites of mine to this day. And I was like, okay, I get it. I still feel like that is one of my areas that I'm not as knowledgeable as a lot of sommeliers are because they get the burgundy bug like from the beginning. I got the Barolo bug from the beginning. my, My whole mind was Italy focused. Italy is so easy for me to understand and really enjoy. And France in general was the hard one for me. And I feel like it's opposite for most people. (laughs) But yeah, so pretty much the majority of French, like Bordeaux, I don't even drink Bordeaux. I'm not a fan. Um, There's there's quite a few producers who I can tolerate a glass, but I just don't like, I don't like it. And so sacrilege again to say as a sommelier, but I think it's just because I, I got the real bug when I was in Italy. And so that just captured my heart and was an easy thing to study because there was there was my own history there um, where France, Italy was much easier. Still to this day, it is much easier for me to grasp Italy than it is to grasp France, which doesn't make a lot of sense um, for a lot of people. A lot of people, France is the easy one and Italy is the hard one, but I don't know. I'm just backwards, I guess. <laughs> so when you pass the MS exam, what did that feel like? Just when they tell you you passed, do you remember what that feels like? It's another funny story. I had maybe the worst hangover of my entire life the day I got my results. <laughs> so we, as a, as a group, we all felt really good. Um, there was four of us. Yeah, four of us in our study group. Um, three of us who passed in 2018 and the, the last person was in 2019. And we all just felt really good about the exam. And we were like, let's let loose. Let's hang out. Like we're done. We ended the night with shots of chartreuse. That's, that's where everything went wrong. <laughs> After however many bottles of wine and however many beers and whatever it was. And so I was feeling not tip top shape um, the day I got the results. And so we all go into our, you know, little areas where we get our results. The person who's giving my me my results was a previously colleague, previously from Vegas. And so it was really cool that he got to, to give me my results. He just kept looking to the side. And I was like, what the heck are you looking at? And Justin was getting his results at the same time. And he just kept looking at him and kept looking at him. And finally, when Justin left, he was like, okay, so my tasting, I had gone back and changed one of my wines in the last like 30 seconds of tasting. And you don't do like, you do not do that. But I knew I got it wrong. I knew I needed to go back and change it. I sped through tasting as fast as I possibly could and then went back and and changed the wine to what I figured to be in my mind to be the right wine. And he goes, 
Why on earth would you ever think in the last 30 seconds of your master sommelier tasting exam, you should go back and change wine? You changed your wine answer at the last second. Yep. I changed my wine answer at the last second, um, which is something you're not supposed to do unless you change it from wrong to right and you pass your exam, then you're supposed to do it. And so, yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting experience for sure. It was, it was really bittersweet because not everyone in my study group passed. Um, and that was hard. It's hard to celebrate yourself when we're not all celebrating together. And there's like this lunch that you do afterwards and, um, my partner couldn't come. And I was like, this is, this sucks. Like, I don't want to be here. Like I want to celebrate with people I, I love and I enjoy. And I like, it was really bittersweet. And then on top of it, I was hungover as I'll get out. So like I threw up after my exam, after the results on the way to the lunch, I had to have them pull the car over to throw up because I was, it was not good. There's this really, it looks like this really like ethereal, great picture of me, like smiling with the sun shining on me with the pin there. And like, I'm holding my stomach and it looks like this great. And I'm literally going, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up, um, is what's in my head. But it looks like this beautiful picture that Melissa Monosoft took. And she was like, this is the best picture. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying not to throw up. When people are getting the results, did you ever like have this weird feeling like notice a lot more people were passing than normal and just kind of like, what's going on here? No, there there was a lot of people who passed that year. But the interesting thing that I don't think was really spoken too much about in the press is that the majority of the people who passed, this was like their fifth or their sixth time. I mean, at that point, it's you have a higher percentage of passing because you're you're used to the exam. You're more prepared. You would hope you're more prepared for it every time you go. Um, there was only a few of us that were like newbies who passed the exam. I think the I, I'm actually really curious what the what each like what um, take it was for everybody. Now that I think about that, because I I don't know overall as a whole, but. Most of the people who I, funny enough, some of the people I passed were some of the people I did the competition with back in 2012 or 14 or something like that when I was like a newly certified um, and I passed the same year that they did. So it's it's very interesting how some people get through the program quickly and some people, uh, it takes a little bit of extra work to get through the program. So when they decide to invalidate everybody's test scores from that year because of the information leaking out or uh, what happened, how did you find out? Was it like an email? Was it a phone call? Was it word of mouth? And you're like, maybe nobody's going to reach out to me. you like, yeah, I could. For me, it was a phone call. I, yeah, Virginia Phillips was the one who called me. She was like, hey, Jessica. I'm like, I'm walking out the door, garage door opening, getting in a car to go uh, mentor a, a tasting group for the advanced exam. I'm busy mode. I got to go somewhere. And I was like, yeah, no problem. Like, I understand shit happens. I'll take it again. Like, I wasn't even thinking. She was like, oh, you don't want to talk about this more? And I was like, I'm literally on my way to go mentor a group. I, I don't have time to talk about this right now. If, if I need to, I'll call you back, but I get it. I don't want people to think I cheated. I'm happy to resit again. Um, it's no problem. Thanks so much, but we'll figure it out. She was like, ah, uh, you might be in shock. Like, do you actually want to talk about this? And I was like, I really don't. I need to go help this group. I'm like, all the information's out of my brain. I'm focusing on this group. And then I see one of my direct mentees, her phone go off and she goes like this and looks at it. And then she just looks at me with like horror in her face. And I was like, what's going on? 
And she's like, do you know what happened? Did you hear, like they announced it publicly, like an, not even an hour after I got the news. And needless to say, I was 100% in shock. Um, I was like, no worries, I gotta go. Like, get off the phone. <laughs> and in that moment when um, it went public and she looked at me with horror in her eyes, that's when it hit me. And I lost it. I lost it hard. And I called her back and I was like, okay, I'm not okay. And I'm crying hard. And I was like, I need I need more information. I don't understand. I wasn't even like, I don't know why I responded the way I did, but I was like, I'm not okay anymore. I need you to tell me what's going on. And so she walked me through it a bit more and said that one of the proctors had given some information away. Actually, I don't know if she told me that or if I just learned that afterwards now that I think about it. But anyways, there was an information leak that happened and we needed to retake the exam. And I was like, still, I understand. I, like things happen. Like I, I, I'm still happy to retake the exam. In that time, I didn't know what a mind fuck it was going to be to try to retake that exam. It was not good. Not good going back into that room. Um, instead of going in there and showing, this is what I've done. Like I'm, I can do this. I can pass this exam. Watch my skills. You are going in there fighting for what you earned. And I didn't know to prepare myself for that mentally. I, I walked into that room and a colleague was actually one of my proctors um, and two other proctors were there as well. And I sat down in the chair and I looked at the wines and the entire room crumbled on me. And I could barely speak. I could barely keep my thoughts in check. It was the worst tasting I've had in my life. My colleague was crying at the end of it, um, trying to hide that he was crying, but crying at the end of it. And I was just like, that was the worst fucking tasting of my life. And he's like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you even kept going. And I was like, I, I think I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't even know what just happened. I had to go to therapy. I had a, I had to do a lot of stuff. I had a personal trainer. I beat the shit out uh, tractor tires. And I started boxing after that. Cause I had an immense amount of rage and anger inside of me afterwards that I didn't even know was there until the room crumbled on me and realized why the room crumbled on me. And then how betrayed I felt by the company to let somebody do that. And then have my title taken away. And I mean, this is years of therapy that I'm able to say all that, but it was, yeah, it fucked me up. Good. It fucked me up really good. From what I can figure out later that kind of same year. So it would have been before you kind of reset for the MS, you wind up doing the WSET three Saki educator and, and the French wine scholar exams. So you were still in exam mode, despite like all of this major thing happening. Like, did you just like separate the two? Like that's over here, that's CMS. I'm working on this stuff and that doesn't matter because it's different kind of thing. Due to the way I grew up, I'm kind of a master at compartmentalizing. And I don't mean that in a positive way. And so it was just a, an easy comp compartmentalization of it. I Tasting was very different for WSCT. Um, there was no tasting for French Scholar. And so it was a very different exam, a very different environment, a very different process to prepare for it. So it was just compartmentalizing is all it was. You reset, you do it, obviously doesn't go well. I don't did anybody who had to reset pass? I, I can't imagine really anybody. Maybe like there was like one or two, but. Mia Vanderwater, um, she passed. I feel like there was maybe a one or two more. That's a good question. I don't remember who all kept their title in 18. 
because we had the choice. We could reset in December. We passed in September. We got the news in October. And then we had the option to sit in December or in April. And I was like, there's no way I'm waiting until April. Like you're, you have to peak your pilot. It's like a marathon. Like there's so much science behind the way and like technique behind the way you peak your pilot for these exams. And I was like, I, I can't like wait that long. I need to keep my pallet peaked. Um, and also I just didn't want to do the process anymore. I just wanted to be done with it. I think it was Mia who passed in, in December. I think there was a couple of people who kept their title in April as well. And then there's a lot of us who just were traumatized every time we walked into that room. And no matter how incredible we tasted outside of that room, you walk in that room and you just crumble still. Uh, 2020, 20 was my last year sitting for the exam. And I still, I sat two more times after the reset. Um, I still had one more possible option before they continued everything. And now I can sit again for the rest of my life if I want to. And so I had still had one more time to sit. But in 2020, I mean, I was tasting better than I've ever tasted in my life. And I was like, I actually am a good taster. Like I felt really great about the way I was tasting, nailing wines five for six, six for six when I was tasting. I've never tasted like that before. And still walking to that room, I still couldn't do it. I still was so in my head and so afraid, like if I pass, they're going to take it away again. And like, you just have all this extra fear and I don't know, all the awful feelings you shouldn't have in that room still came in. So that was the year I decided I was, I was done. I, I still had another chance, but I was like, I, I'm not going to put myself through this anymore. I'm not going to be done with the trauma anytime soon. I don't know how to get the trauma out of me. And so I'm just done. And then stuff happened and now I'm renounced from ever sitting again. But between that time period and now, I mean, you did a handful of other certifications. So certified wine specialist, Spanish wine scholar, instructor, Spanish wine specialist, certified CBD consultant. Has all that been to just keep options open on where you want to go? Is it continue to stay sharp? Part of it, I'm sure, is because you enjoy learning these new things. But you know, what has all that kind of been for? Because I mean, you, you have all these other certificates. It's not like you need them. What's been the motivating factor for continuing to study and to do that with these other organizations? That's a good question. That's a really good question. It's uh, a, a multitude of things. One is I really like seeing how other people um, proctor information and administer their way because everybody teaches differently and everybody focuses on different things. And I really enjoy, like, for instance, I passed French Wine Scholar after passing MS Theory. I, If I didn't actually study the material for French Wine Scholar, I don't know if I would have passed the exam because some of the stuff they focus on was not important for me to know for MS Theory each has their own niche that they have and each their own deep dive that they do. For me, I think it makes you a more well-rounded educator by having taken all these different certifications. It allows you to give the information to your students in more of a balanced, well-rounded way than a focused way for a specific exam. Now that I don't mentor directly for specific exams. I mean, if you're studying for a master, I'm, I'm going to help you pass masters, but I don't teach directly towards one program anymore. I teach as a whole and you can take that as you need for whatever program you're studying. And so I like having all those different aspects come into play so I can create an even more well-rounded program for my students. 
Are there any certifications left that you want to do or you feel that you need to do to continue to round out your platform? I still would like to do Italian Wine Scholar. I start, I have the books and I started the program, but that was when I was leaving Southern and starting my company. So I didn't make the time to do it, but I would like to finish that program. And I still teeter. I still teeter-totter on Master of Wine. Uh, my goal when I was in my 20s was to be an MSMW. That program is not totally different. You're not sitting in front of three people for you know a verbal examination, but it's still a tasting examination. And I'm still teetering if I want to do a tasting examination ever again. Theory exams I can do. It doesn't trigger any trauma or anything like that. Service as well is fine. It's just the tasting part that still triggers some trauma. So I'm, I've been teetering. Maybe Maybe in five or 10 more years, maybe I'll think back at it. Um, but at this moment, I think I'm good for the moment. What do you do with all the certifications, like the paper that they give you? Like some come with pins and obviously, but are they in a box? Is there a giant wall in your house with like all of them framed on there or like an office space? What'd you do with them? I have them all in uh, certificate presenters, but they're all actually just sitting on my desk in a pile. <laughs> They're not actually displayed anywhere. That's funny. Yeah, I put them in presenters not that long ago, but I haven't actually displayed them or done anything with them. Backtracking just a little bit though, you know, when all this is going on, you're doing all your certification stuff too. September 2020 is when you officially launched JWA Education, so which is your company, your education platform that you have that's still going to this day. Do you remember when you first had the idea to create this? Because like you mentioned, it's a culmination of a lot of your study materials and stuff that you wanted. And there's, there's kind of high level overview and there's the real nerdy stuff too as well. But do you remember when you had that kind of epiphany, like, hold on, if I organize this and compile this in a certain way, this could be really beneficial, not just to myself, but also to people that are in this field too as well. Like, do you remember where you were, like when that thought happened? I don't know if I could credit the idea as mine. I had a lot of peers and a lot of mentees ask me to do it for a really long time. And what they actually asked for was a book. And I was like, as soon as I print this, it's really going to be out of date. And so I didn't want to do a book. <laughs> wine law changes so much. Like I can't even keep the website up to date as quickly as wine law changes. I was like, it doesn't make sense to do a book. Uh, it initially happened because I had all, there's a, a picture somewhere. It's probably on one of my social medias. I printed out all of my study guides that are going up onto the site. And it was like a stack like this thick. So for audio, you're, I mean, you're looking at like close to a foot, um, a stack of study guides that I had wire bound and everything. So I could go through them. I'm someone who likes a tangible material, not a screen. It's hard for me to learn on a screen. Um, I just, my eyes hurt reading on a screen. And so um, I printed them all out and I took a picture and was more just like, oh my gosh, look how much this is. Not let me sell this to you. And I had so many people be like, oh my God, where can I get that? Can I buy it? Like, what are you doing with it? What's going on? And it like created this buzz. And I was like, oh, uh, I don't know. And then during COVID, uh, it was in May. March or May, I don't remember, when I I was furloughed from Southern at the time because of COVID. And I was like, I'm education. It is not likely I'm going to get brought back. I need to start thinking about what I'm going to do instead. 
insane hours putting together this website. I mean, you've seen how in-depth it is. I did that in like a matter of months, put all that together and then launched in September and was like, okay, my study guides that everybody was asking for, it's kind of basically this website. Um, And I dove hard into building the sake side first because sake isn't ever changing like wine is. It's a lot less dense than wine is. And so I was like, I knew I can get that side finished. And so the sake side is 100% complete. The wine side is not. It's always evolving and always growing. And the study guides, initially I had them as a a page of a website and now I'm redoing them all and creating them all as PDFs for the purpose of when I was studying, I wanted a PDF. I would like copy and paste someone's whole entire website page and put it in Word and then I would print it. So not green by any means, but I, I need that tangible material. And I was thinking about that as I was launching some of this stuff. And I was like, why am I not making it the way that I wished I would have had it in my day of studying? Um, I'm sure a lot of other people want something tangible. It's a PDF. You can keep it on the screen. You can keep it electronic if you want to, but it's super easy to print. You're not having to resize everything and update all of the fonts and the words and all of that. Like I did, it's just, you can read it on a screen or you can print it. It's your choice now. I didn't have an epiphany. I think it was just like, okay, what am I going to do now? I'm furloughed. I'm not going to be going back to work. Oh, I might as well create the website that everybody's been asking for forever. Um, And it was just kind of like something to do with my time while I was furloughed because don't let myself get bored. Um, My grandma says I don't let grass grow under my feet. I think for the first two weeks of COVID, I chilled. Um, Then I was like, oh my God, I need to be doing something. Um, And so I created that purely because I was like, I don't want to be bored. This is the best time to create it because I'm not bound to a job or anything else during this time. And so it just made it a really easy time to to create it. Do you think you would have been able to get it out there as soon as you did at that time period if it wasn't for the pandemic? Like, did the pandemic help or, or hurt? Like, yes, obviously laid off all that stuff, but it also gave you time to like, do a year's worth of work inside of like three months? (laughs) There's no way. If 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 the pandemic didn't happen, JY education probably would have never happened because like even when I got back from furlough, Southern brought me back. I halted all production of JY education because I didn't want there to be a conflict of interest because I was an educator for Southern. And so um, the progress that you see on this site is really not much different than it was in 2021 because I I didn't want to start building a whole bunch of stuff while I was working for Southern just for my own inner morality. I don't know the way of thinking. So it's, it's only been growing again since I left Southern in October uh, of 2022. And now I've been focusing on it quite a bit more uh, and building it out again. But it's it, there's only really probably less than a year of work technically in that site. And so there's still much more to be built for it, but 100%, it would not exist exist if the pandemic didn't happen. What was your original goal when you first launched it? Is that still the same goal today? The original goal was to have all of my study stuff in one place. So I didn't have to go hunting through all of my stuff to find it as I'm mentoring and coaching students. Um, I wanted a one place like here is where everything is. This makes it easy for me to share with others. It makes it easy for me to go back to and like check what's in my brain because I I haven't studied, directly studied theory since 2018. So I mean, I have a good bit of it in my brain still, but I like to 
check myself and make sure my brain is still correct. And it's a pain in the butt when you have all your information in 20 different places. And so again, it's kind of self-serving. It's for me to have all of the things that I've created in, what is that? Well, in one place for ease for me, um, but also for that to be helpful for others in their, in their way of studying as well. Because like my maps, for instance, one map was created from like seven or eight different maps because not one map had everything I wanted to have on it when I was studying. And so I would hand draw my own maps using maybe seven different sources to like create the ideal map for me for the way I study. And now those maps have been turned into coloring books for ease of people to just use to color them and label them however they want. And that was new as of just a couple months ago. And then um, same thing, the study guides, they all have the resources at the bottom of it. So people can go check my work. Like I'm not, I'm not the be all end all person. Like there's go, go check the work, go learn for yourself. Here are the resources that I recommend using. There's a website resource page that has all of the government ran websites for all of the wine law countries, regions, and stuff like that for ease of finding the absolute most up-to-date information is that government-based website. And then um, same thing, again, the study guides have all the resources at the bottom too. So it's really meant to be not this, I'm the expert of all things. It's this is the one-stop shop where you can find what you need in one place. But if you want to dive deeper, if you want to learn some other stuff, here's the resources and just click and it helps you get there quicker. So out of the website, there's a whole bunch of material that's free uh, on there too, but you also do other things. So you offer exam coaching, study coaching, personal development coaching. With all that, what is the thing that you have found that holds most people back from achieving either their goals or success with not just wine studying, but also with the kind of personal development aspect too? Yeah. Limiting beliefs are one of the big ones, thinking that they can't do it, thinking that they're not worthy of it, thinking that their their brain doesn't work the same way other people's. They can't work hard enough for it. There's so many limiting beliefs that is probably the underlying condition of every single person I've coached and even mentee. It's getting them to believe in themselves because they have the power to do it. They have the they have the ability. They're already starting the path. They just have to believe in themselves that they can do it. And it's just a matter of like taking baby steps and getting those success hormones that like dopamine and serotonin that send through your brain showing, oh, I did a good job. I can do this. Okay. Another baby step. Oh, I did a good job. I can do this. Baby steps you take, the more dopamine and serotonin hits you get, the more you start believing in yourself, the more your self-worth grows, the more your limiting beliefs turn into affirming beliefs and the more confidence you have and the more esteem you have. And it just builds after that. And so yes, the underlying fact of coaching is to help you pass the exams, but the, the, uh, what, what would be the right word? The, the side effects of it is that you, you just grow so much personally through it because you find your power, you step into your power, you find your strength, you find your ability, you find your confidence, you find your worth, um, you find all those things. And I think that is what draws me so much to coaching. And I, I only launched coaching a couple months ago because I, I went down a health and wellness route and became a, a board certified health and wellness coach, another certification for you. And which was an incredibly hard exam. That was like close to MS hard um, exam. 
I just did it from my own. I just want to be more well-rounded. And like when you're studying for these exams, you sacrifice a lot of your life. You sacrifice some health stuff. You sacrifice so many things and it's hard to keep balance and you burn yourself out and all these things happen. And I wish in my time of studying that someone coached me that you can pass these exams and you can find balance. You don't have to sacrifice time with your family to pass. You just have to be more structured in the way you study and optimize the way you do your recall and reviewing and all of that. So you're optimizing your memory retention. So your information recall is stronger. And so um, I went real sciencey in the way of that. And I think that's becoming a little bit of my new niche is brain optimization structure optimization so you have balance and pass these exams is there a try and true method that works for helping people learn the information or is kind of the first step usually about adapting to that person's personality the way they learn the way they study what have you i have yet to find a one-stop fits all through my, through my mentees and through my clients. Um, everybody's so different in the way their brain works. And that's why I think maybe in the wine world, this is a, a subject that doesn't get tapped into much because it's so highly personalized. This is how you study for an exam. Well, maybe that's how Joe studies, but Sarah doesn't. And Frank does something totally wonky. And in our MS study group, every single one of us studied so incredibly differently from each other. You have like, Greg Van Wagner, who created Som Geo, and this that was his his study method. Everything was in Google Maps and pins and notes. And I was like, dude, your brain is nuts. Like, this is so cool. And he sees my site and he's like, girl, like your brain is nuts. And I was like, yeah, we all we all function so differently. We're so we're so individualized. And I think everybody thinks that there's this, this is how you study. And it's really not. Some people hit flows and they can sit down for 10 hours and work. And some people after 25 minutes are like squirrel and they can't pay attention anymore. And so it's just finding what works for each person and helping them experiment to realize that they're totally capable. They just don't have to do what everybody else does. They need to find what works best for them. On the website, abundance of resources, there's a list of wine books, a bunch of study materials, like you said, the wine maps, wine journals, just a little online shop with some wine tools, stuff like that. But there's also a section that you have that has pretty much every available certification that a single person could want to probably explore within kind of the hospitality, food and beverage industry. So at least on the beverage side, every corresponding level is listed out if it's beginner or intro or expert and all that stuff. Having taken pretty much all of those yourself, which organization or which exam do you feel did the process the best? Oh, that's hard. I I love a lot of them for different reasons. I really enjoy how the WSCT does their realm of education. They give you a book. This is what you have to know. The court is great for service and for that side of things. But if you are not ever wanting to be in service, like there is no reason to do the court. Why would you put yourself through the service process if you're never going to be in the service? Doesn't mean you can't do it. Like if you like tests, go for it. It's so self-studied and it's really difficult for people to be like, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to study. Is this too deep? Is this not deep enough? What parts of the world am I supposed to know? It's really hard. And where the WSET really excels is 
this is what you have to know. This is the book. This is the depth you need to go. This is how you analyze the information. This is how the exams are administered. This is how you answer the exams. It is so like helpful in the way it sets you up for success if you put the effort in. Um, and I think that is one of the most beautiful things about the WSET is if you put the effort in, you have no reason to not pass the exam because they give you everything you could possibly need. And if you're working with a APP that has amazing teachers, you're just that much more prepared for the exam. And so I really enjoy that aspect of the WSET. And then with the Wine Scholar Guild, I love how geeky and deep they get. And But they do it in a way that flows. They do it in a way that's easy to understand and to process. You're not like, whoa, where'd you just go? Like you lost me, you're on Mars now. They do a really good job with that. So, I mean, it's really hard to hard to pick, but if I had to pick one, I would say probably the WSAT in the way they just truly set you up for success. Do you think that is the organization somebody starting out should go to first? Or do you think CMS or Society of Wine is a better fit? I recommend WSET for pretty much everyone who's starting out because their level one and level two walk you through everything. And then you can really decide from there, like, what is my ambition with the wine industry? Because some people are like, I want to learn wine. I want to do something with it, but I don't know what yet. And so usually by the time they finish level two, they've got kind of an idea of what's exciting for them. And once you hit level two, you're pretty well set up to go into the court and feel very comfortable and feel not like you're, you know, just waiting in a huge ocean and going, oh my God, I just don't even know how to swim right now. It sets you up for a lot of success. So I really like level one and level two specifically for anybody who's like, um, I like wine. I want to learn more, but I don't know what. Um, if you know 100% you want to be a wine director, you want this 100% go for the court. If you're comfortable with self-study, 100% start with the court. I didn't start with the court because I wanted to have guided courses and help to learn the information. I didn't want to be off on my own and doing self-study. I didn't know about WSET at the time when I first started and I wish I would have. That's okay. I know about it now and it's a beautiful program. And so I do think level one, level two, WSET is where everyone should begin. Um, they break everything down so easily and focus on really the, the important aspects of the wine world and gives you a really strong foundation. And then from there, branch into the the wine study branch that makes the most sense for you and for the career that you want. If you want to be a wine blogger, all those kinds of things, MW's your your route. And the WSET is the process to get to MW. If you want to be an educator, sure. I'm sure Society of Wine Educators is great for that. I've only been through one of their programs. Um, you don't have to, obviously I'm an educator and I've, I haven't gone through their programs. So you don't have to go through programs to be an educator by any means. I've heard great things about their programs. I just haven't taken the time to really dive into all of them. And then I think the Wine Scholar Guild is really ideal for once you've hit that like WSET 3, um, going into advanced for the court, that really helps you get a really solid foundation of Spain, Italy, and France, which dive so deep that if you really understand those aspects of Wine Scholar, it will 100% set you up for success for both sides, um, WSET and um, the advanced exam. How do you recommend someone stay grounded and not get lost in studying? 
That's a good question because it's really it's really easy to go down the road. I have a, a 12 step um, kind of study process that is um, good to follow. That's not 100% my own. I don't know who originally created it, but I know Shane Bjornholm um, created, I think his was 10 steps and broke it down. Um, it's like, if if you're not in the realm of what these 12 steps are, like you're, you're, you're branching too far. You're, you're going too deep. If I was to say, as a guest sitting at your table, tell me about, I don't know, burgundy, and you're going down this rabbit hole of soils and everything else, like, would you say that to someone who you're trying to give a five-minute explanation of what this place is? Can you give a five-minute explanation of what this place is? Or you can you only tell me the geeky stuff? Um, and I think that's really important because so many people are like, oh, I can tell you this producer and I can tell you this and I can tell you where they're at and I can tell you these things. And I'm like, okay, like what's the most important Grand Cru or what's the what's the Grand Cru's of this area? Or, you know, some kind of foundational question and they just kind of sit there and think for a minute or they have to like, pull the information out of their brain. It's not top of their mind, like the geeky answers are. And I'm like, you gotta, you have to be able to answer the foundational stuff. Go geeky for sure. But if you can't answer the foundational stuff, why are you going geeky? You're wasting your time. Every Saturday you post on Instagram, three questions, two quotes, and one useful tip. I do enjoy it. Every once in a while, I do get one of the three questions uh, actually right. How do you decide on the questions? Is it whatever you're kind of studying or, or looking at recently, is it built around a theme for the week? Like how do you decide on what questions get integrated into that post every week? That's a really good question. So I have an immense amount of practice exams that I built for when I was studying with my study group, we would all do um, exams with each other. And it'll be a hundred question, 75 to a hundred question exam that we would all give each other uh, to build our stamina up for the exam because for the MS exam specifically, because to do a 75 to a hundred, um, hundred question exam verbally is exhausting to the brain and to the body and to so many things. So if you're not building the stamina for it, the exam can wipe you out like really easily. Um, and it sets you up for like the roller coaster that the exam gives you like, there'll be like softball questions to make you feel good. And there'll be like super hard questions. And so it's like, it really helps you build your stamina as a whole. And so I still have all those. And so I just go back through and I'm like, Hmm, which questions did I pick? And I'll just like click on one exam and then I have them highlighted the ones that I've used. So I don't use them again, but it's just going, Oh, I like that question today. There's no theme or (laughs) exciting answer behind that. So you've studied a lot of stuff, explored a lot of stuff. What wine region or style do you find yourself gravitating towards the most? You know, every Psalm has that one region that that was it for them. Like, that's my favorite region. They still go back to it. It's still probably 50% of what they drink when they drink wine. What is that for you? There is one wine that got me into this industry. And when I first tasted it, the person who gave it to me was like, you are meant to be a Psalm. And I had no plan on being in this industry. And so when I worked at the Blue Star, which doesn't exist anymore, back in Colorado Springs, um, the sommelier would always let me taste wines. And he'd t- have me taste all these American wines. And I'm not a new world wine drinker. There are some that I do enjoy, but I don't like high alcohol wines. I want something that is um, balanced and not going to give me like a sugar hangover the next day. Um, cause I'm sensitive to that. Not saying new world wines are bad by any means. They're just not all of them are for me. 
finally one day he was like, okay, I'm going to like give you something that no person on this planet's going to like for their first wine, but I cannot find a wine you like. So we're just going to do something weird. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so he puts the wine down in front of me and I taste it. And I was like, huh, interesting. And I taste it again. And I was like, I think I like this one. And it was a Barolo. To this day, I literally have a Nebula leaf tattoo on my wrist um, to remind myself of how I got into this industry, to remind myself to be humble. This is my pouring hand. Um, So it's always that reminder, like you are in the service industry. You are here to be humble. You are here to help others. You are here to get an experience and to remind myself of where I came from. This literally was not a plan in my life. And it's something that came into my life. And it's a beautiful journey. It's a little rough. Uh, for some parts of it, but um, it's a beautiful journey. And I, I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't gone through the journey. Nebbiolo, hands down, is my favorite grape. Barolo is very, very up there in my favorite region. Um, I don't drink it a ton as it is higher alcohol and it's a very abrasive grape. A new region that I actually just got to visit in April that is like my new, I don't know, crack something. I don't know what you would say. What's the proper way to say that? But I am just all about it right now. It's Bierzo in Spain. I had no idea how beautiful it was there, how unique it was there, how incredible the producers are there, how stylistically different the producers are there. It's like Burgundy of Spain and I had no clue. And so I'm like geeking out on Bierzo rhymes right now, but to like hold true to my soul, Barola. When you go out to dinner are you able to just enjoy yourself or do you compulsively check the wine list to see what they have? I don't actually, I don't even like looking at the wine list. I prefer to go to a place where the some, sometimes I hope they don't know me. Um, so I can just have an experience. You're out and people see you. They want to like wine and dine you and give you this whole experience. And sometimes you're like, dude, I just want a glass of wine and a salad or something like that. Um, and so sometimes I, I actually don't go out that often anymore. I I eat home more than I go out. But when I do go out, I like to go to places where I know the psalm knows what they're doing. And I can just be like, hey, this is what I'm having. I don't want to think these are the things I don't like. Balls in your court, like do your job. I want them to have the ability to just like show what they do and enjoy what they do. And I get like the coolest experiences for it. And get introduced to wines that I've never heard of, styles that I'm like, why would you do that? And then I taste them like, dang, okay, that's good. Thanks for bringing it over. Um, and I feel like I still learn more that way because I'm not on the floor anymore. I don't see the amount of wine that I used to see. Um, and it gives me a really cool experience and like pairings that I never would have thought to put together that I'm just like, that's mind blowing. Like bravo to you for putting that together because um, I was at a restaurant actually uh, a couple weeks ago and um, they put down this pairing and I was like, gross. I don't want to put that in my mouth. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be true to you. I'm going to listen to what you said and I'm going to taste it. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. And I was like, well, how, how did your brain even go to put those things together? He's like, it took me like 30 tries to find a wine to match this dessert Um, And it was a dessert pairing and it was very unique dessert setup. And he picked a very strange, just a very obscure place. And I was like, I don't want to put it in my mouth. And um, I tried it and I was like, mind blown. I was like, I will always remember you for giving me this mind blowing experience where I thought it was going to be absolutely terrible. And it was delicious. Sometimes I get some terrible ones, Um, but I, I really enjoy 
releasing the control in that aspect and just letting the professionals who know their menu, who know their list, just do their job. When you look at the next generation, the people that are actively studying, going through exams in the early stages, what do you kind of see of this upcoming sommelier spirit professionals? What's your take on where they're headed and and all that? Uh, I see two routes and I hope they start to merge together. I see a route that is like, I only want to focus on the hipster geek stuff and um, like I've walked into, into wine bars that are focused, like it's a real young Psalm. They're like, I love all the hipster geeky shit. And I'm like, sweet, let me see the list. And I'm like, I don't know a single wine on this list. And some of these, like, I, I feel out of comfort in those kind of places. And I'm like, if I feel uncomfortable, how does a person who doesn't know wine feel? Um, and a lot of times I put the list aside and I order a cocktail when that happens, um, because I'm uncomfortable with the list that I see in a lot of places. And I think that's unfortunate. Yes. It's great to have a place you can learn. I, I think it's great to have a page on your wine list. That's really hipster geeky, cool hand sell, but how are your sales? Are, are you doing what's optimal for your business? Are you doing what you think is going to make you look like a cool song? Um, cause I feel like your profit margins probably not great. If a lot of us are like, I don't know what this is. I'm not ordering wine. And so it's like, are you doing justice for your customers and doing justice for your, your investors or your partners or your owners or whoever they are, or are you just trying to show off? And I don't like that style. Um, and then the opposite style, which is, um, I, I lean more towards the newbies who are like, I just want to learn. I just want to know everything. Um, but then they get scared to like jump in and like, you have to learn by experience in this industry. Um, yes, you can have a mentor. Yes, you can do these credentials. But if you pass the master's exam and you've never worked the floor, which I don't know if anybody's ever done that, I don't recommend that at all. Um, like, how can you, how can you be a SOM if you've never worked the floor? How can you really be true to who you are if you've never like jumped in and actually done this? And a lot of them, in that kind of boat, there's there's another fork that goes. There's the people who take the certifications and then they think they should automatically get a wine job where the psalm on the floor should be able to do every single position in that restaurant because you are just the person who's selling wine. You should be able to seat tables. You should be helping run drinks. You should be helping the bartender make um, cocktails if they're, if they're getting weeded. You should be able to run food if you know, the kitchen's getting weeded. Um, you should be able to take orders if your server's just slammed. Um, the SOM is, should be the most experienced and the most helpful person on the floor, in my opinion. And so a lot of my students, they pass exams and they're like, okay, I'm ready to be a SOM. And I'm like, great. What, what positions in a restaurant have you worked in? What type of restaurant are you thinking? They're like, oh, I've never worked in a restaurant. I was like, well, Let's walk before we run. Like we need to learn how restaurants work. You should be a server before you're a SOM. You should run an expo line. You should do these things. Um, and so I, a lot of times it's like, you know, they're, they're, get, they're too excited. They're, they're too ready for things that they don't quite yet deserve. And so I think that's part of kind of the, maybe my old school mindset and old school mentality is that um, you kind of need to work your way up through things. And I feel like, I feel like it's kind of like as a generation, as a whole, this newer generation is like, we take, we're going exactly for what we want and we don't work our way up the ladder for it. Um, not everybody's like that by any means. There's, there's amazing people who work their way up their ladder and, and they, they, they go through the process in a, in a way that is 
conducive to their success as well as the success of the people around them. But um, there are some who who put the what is they put the cart before the horse? Is that the thing? I, I see a lot of that. It's um, not realizing that this is a service industry. This is a hospitality industry. And you need to learn the whole hospitality side before you can really dive in and do the, the cool job, which is the line job. What's next for you professionally? Yeah, um, I actually just launched a second company, um, which um, I launched uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, which is the wellness side. It is tying together kind of two sides of, of my world. When I was in the wine world, I didn't find balance. I ate poorly. I didn't take care of my body. Fitness wasn't a focus of mine. The exams were so focused of mine that I lost a lot of balance and a lot of things. And so I did some personal training certifications and breathwork certifications and mindfulness and um, got a, a board certification for health and wellness. And um, I'm launching that side, which focuses on just helping people find balance in their life. And bringing balance to their life through a well-rounded approach with nutrition. Um, that's probably the the base to everything I'm doing is nutrition focused because I had a lot of health issues and um, I had a doctor say they want to do exploratory surgery. No, no, no. Um, those words don't go together. We're going to learn some nutrition and we're going to learn some other things before I start letting you just go tinker around inside of me. And I, I cured a lot of my own ailments through nutrition and through learning about how food can heal you if you find what works best for your body. And so my my path is now twofold. It's all helping people. I, I love helping people. I'm a, a giver to a fault at some times. And so it's um, building the wine side to be more sustainable. And I want to build out courses and have a, a subscription type of platform for online courses. So you can just go in and learn about Bordeaux or Burgundy or Birzo or Riesling or whatever you want to learn about. That's takes a lot of time to build the content for that. And so that's, that's up and coming. And then the coaching realm for sure, finishing up the the free resources for the site. And I have a lot of people criticize me that the site is free. Um, they're like, you can make so much money on having, you know, a membership base to the site. And I'm like, I know I can. Um, but part of it is this like rebellious fire that's inside of me that the company that I worked so hard to be a part of and did so much in my life all these platforms that have this like wealth of information you have to pay for. And part of me wants to be a little rebellious and say, fuck you to everyone and just have a really cool place where everybody can have free information to help them get through whatever exams they're getting through. And then of course there's monetization through coaching and those kinds of things. But I still have people tell me on a very regular basis, I should have that site not be free. And no one's yet convinced me otherwise. I, I want it to be free. So <laughs> it's a multitude of both. It's it's building both brands and it's just trying to help as many people as I can help be the best versions of themselves. The health and wellness side, is that still following under JWA Education? Is it a separate name? Is it a separate website? What is... It's a whole separate company. So it's JWA Wellness LLC and the the website is JWA Wellness. Um, so just my first initial last name and then wellness. That is... I cross promote them on both websites, um, but I'm not directly like obviously tying the two of them together because a lot of people in the wellness world are not in the wine world. Uh, but a lot of people in the wine world do want to have more wellness in their life. And so I do cross promote a bit. Um, obviously I'm talking about it right now, but um, it's, 
yeah, it's all just, just trying to help people bring balance to whatever it is that they're, they're wanting in their life, whether it's studying or wellness or health or I don't know, nutrition, whatever it is. So on that new business that you're building that just launched a couple of weeks ago, is that going to spider out very similar in style or format that your wine education did? How is that going to kind of be structured? Like, what are you thinking? Obviously, this could all change. Like, It's like things evolve, things flow. Like, But what are you thinking as of right now? Yeah, as of right now, it is um, a coaching-based platform um, where we dive into how to maximize nutrition for yourself, how to bring balance to your life and more coaching focused, um, creating customized meal plans, those kinds of things. But there is a blog um, that as of right now, I have called the Wellness Shala. The blog is going to be all about educational aspects of wellness. Like it is incredible the amount of things that we've been told our whole life that are either myths or 100% false that were just created because some marketing person thought that this is a great way to market something. There are so many fads, so many things that are lies um, in the industry. And so the Wellness Shala, it's, it's just going to be a free blog that I'm going to focus on educating people on like the, the, the facts. And some of it will get geeky, but in the beginning, it's all going to be very basic focused. Like um, the, the first blog that came out a couple of days ago is why wellness care is crucial over illness care. Because um, we don't think about wellness care. We go to a doctor, the doctor says, we have this ailment, we need to do such and such to fix it, but does, doesn't give us a game plan on how you do that. Doesn't tell you why these changes are important, what is actually happening in your body, why your body is having this ailment. It doesn't go into it. Um, they're just like, yeah, go work out three times a week healthy. Well, I was eating healthy. I was eating some of the healthiest, healthiest things ever. And then I found out through some blood testing that I was not eating properly for my body. And as soon as I changed the way I ate, like my whole life changed. Um, I could build muscle. I had, I mean, I was like dry heaving bile for seven years of my life on a weekly basis, incredibly sick. And I haven't been sick in years after just learning about nutrition and eating optimally for my body. And so it's just these little things that the doctors only have so much information in their scope of practice where this is to help you like, okay, the doctor told you this. Now this is why we change things. This is how we start to implement things. These are the baby steps we take. This is how we give you a practice and a path to wellness rather than curing whatever illness you have. The doctor thing is like, like I recently had to get some blood work done for something and it's one of the biggest, you know, health doctor organizations we have here in the state and great. They put, you know, your results in your online thing or whatever, but I still had to call them. I was like, Hey, you guys put this up here. What does this mean? Like, do I have this? Do I not? Like, I don't, I don't know how to read this. I don't know how to read medical results. Like you guys just put in the medical results. What does this actually mean? And they're like, oh, well, it just means this is it. And I'm like, okay, well, could you put that there so I didn't have to call, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's, and it wasn't anything like seriously concerning or anything like that. It, it was more of formality, but I'm like, I don't know what this is. And you call your doctor and you're like, help me figure that out. Something. Oh, you have to schedule another appointment and pay me another 50 bucks for me to tell you what's what this little score means and like how you fix it. Um, and even then sometimes they're like, oh, like HDL. They're like, oh, you just need to exercise more and eat healthier. And I'm like, I literally exercise every single day and I eat so much omega-3 and all these other fatties. Like, 
no, like I need you to help me out more. And it was kind of another bit of frustration of not getting answers, getting the help and not getting the the ease of information given to me that kind of took me down that path as well. So this next question comes from the previous guest on the podcast, sommelier and general manager of Commune here in Columbus, Ohio, Andrea Moore. She left behind a question for you. What is your favorite part about your craft? Helping others. Like the light bulb that goes off when they get it or like when you told them the one thing that like they knew, but they just needed validation for and they're just like, I get it. Okay. Like I, I can do this now or, oh, that region makes sense now or, oh, I understand why I taste this way now or, I mean, it's different for every single client, but that light bulb moment that they have, whatever that light bulb moment is for them when you see it and you're just like, bing, and you're like, I'm a good teacher. Okay. This is great. Um, that moment. And then you know that you made an impact in their life and you help them and like you did your job. That is my favorite moment. What is a question you want to leave behind for the next guest? Can be anything. Let's stay on the realm of balance. So what is their advice for finding balance in their career while still staying on top of their craft? This next question comes from one of our listeners. They wrote in, out of all the certifications and exams you've taken, which was your most memorable? Could be good or bad and why? Oh, well, bad. That one's obvious. But good was was the advanced. Not first time taking it, but the second time taking it. Because that silent goal I had to myself to pass the exam with the highest score and to just crush it, I got. And that moment... Um, I still, when I think back to it, I still can feel how I felt in that moment and how excited I accomplished what in that moment seemed like an impossible goal. So this last set of questions, we pretty much asked anybody who comes on the podcast, so nice compare and contrast across all the episodes. So who would you say is the biggest influence on your career thus far when you look back on it? Probably Ira Harmon. Um, He was an advocate for me in the beginning. He always, always um, was in my court, no matter what I needed. He was always there to help me, no matter what question I had. He always pushed me to come taste with him, even when I didn't want to taste. He he just, he always had my back and he always had so much faith in me and in my abilities, even when I didn't have it in myself. What is your desert island wine? My wine cellar's right here. I'm looking at it like, what is it going to be? It's probably going to be the only wine that I actually collect. And it's called Fanta Canali from Tiberio. And it is an old vine Trebbiano from Abruzzo that has like wicked, like three, 3.1 pH. Um, it's like super high acid deliciousness in a bottle. That's, that's probably, that's probably got to be it, which is funny. It's not or Nebbiolo, which is on me, but Desert Island, I want something cool and refreshing and high acid and zippy and zesty to make me like, you know, not be hot and struggling on the island. So Tiberios Fonte Canale. Las Vegas restaurant you'd recommend? The one that keeps coming in my head is Sparrow and Wolf. So it's an amazing restaurant that's not on the strip. It's off the strip in spring on Spring Mountain, kind of in Chinatown area. Chef Brian is an absolute wizard in the kitchen. Um, there are so many times that I've brought wine to eat there um, or ordered wine and the food just trumps the wine every time, no matter how good the wine is, that when I go there, I usually do cocktail pairings instead of wine pairings. That was the the place where I was 
eating the last couple of weeks ago that I mentioned where they did the most random pairing that I didn't want to put in my mouth. That was the most delicious pairing ever. And yeah, Sparrow and Wolf. Bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurants, a place you've never visited, you still want to get to one day, and also a restaurant that you have not dined at, but you still want to visit at some point. I really want to go to Greece. Santorini's probably top of that list there. Egypt too, but it's still not good for me to go to Egypt at this point, being a blonde white girl. <laughs> so um, we'll keep it at Greece. Bucket list restaurant. That's good. 11 Madison Park is still doing the vegetarian whole entire pairing menu. I really, that I've tried to get to New York a couple of times and two times I had reservations at EMP and then some, I had COVID one time, so I couldn't go. And then a family emergency happened the other time and I had to cancel my trip. And so I still have yet to get there. Um, that's a bucket list restaurant. Craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you were working. Oh my gosh. I don't even know where to pick one. I, w- I worked in Las Vegas for 12 years on the ship. So <laughs> the biggest one that pops in my head is one that I thought I was getting punked as I was at the table. So I, I went to this table, this beautiful lady. She was dining alone. Um, she ordered the five course menu and she said she only wanted sweet wines to pair with the entire menu. And I was like, what? Sweet wines for the whole menu. Uh, and it was like just before I was sitting for MS and I thought one of my bosses like hired this lady to come in to like give me a hard time because um, he did that. He would go to tables before I got there and be like, tell her this, tell her that. We're giving her like hard scenarios. Oh, that was going for my advanced, not for my master's, for my advanced. I literally asked her, I was like, are you punking me right now? Did someone come tell you to ask me this? And she was like, no, is that bad? And I was like, nope, I'm sorry. Just just disregard what I said. I'm happy to do a whole entire sweet wine pairing for you. Um, and so it was a five course menu with all sweet wine pairings, which to this day, I still will never forget. And 100% that I was getting pumped. Food or drink guilty pleasures or anything that you know is unhealthy for you, but you just can't help yourself, whether it's candy or chips or whatever. Ice cream, 100% it's ice cream. Um, I have to like give myself uh, restrictions on how much ice cream I can eat. There's just Ben and Jerry's. It's like a chocolate, chocolate chip cookie dough. And then there's this chocolate uh, topped layer on top and it's got these caramel cup. Oh my God, it's like crack. It's so good. I actually ate so much. Summer, my LDL went up really high and I was like, okay, you can't eat any more ice cream for a while. Uh, so 100% is ice cream. Wine recommendations. So we broke this into four categories. So they are $20 and under. $50 and under, $100 and under, and then over 100 no limit. All four or you know, three of the four could all be below $20 if that's what you want to recommend. You don't have to go up to 100 But what do you recommend for the person that is just starting to get into wine? You know, this is stuff you should try. Like that's kind of what we're looking for here. So first category, $20 and under for a bottle. What do you recommend? The first one that comes to my mind is Tiberio's just their regular um, Trebbiano. It is incredible steal for the money and it is absolutely delicious. Up to $50 for a bottle. So zero to 50 in that range. I don't know if I could say a specific producer, but anything in like Chianti Classico, 100% you're going to find really delicious, amazing quality. Um, Delicious, delicious wines for sure. Um, And I feel like the wines go with a good majority of a lot of things that you could have on your table. Up to 100 village level burgundy from a high quality producer, because a lot of times 
it's their top end grapes that are like left over or that maybe it didn't like go into their actual premier crew or grand crew bottling that goes into their burgundy bottling in an off vintage wines are going to be phenomenal over a hundred no real limit what are you recommending Barola, any of them like um i like the traditional producers myself that are not using new oak go at least at least 10 years old try 20 40 60 years old if you can um, hands down, hands down. What is one book focused on beverage that you think everyone should read? So for the book, the one that's coming to my mind is Tom Stevenson. His newest edition actually just came out not that long ago. And that gives you the foundational knowledge you need of every important wine world. Um, and that would be the book that I would take when I would like, this is going to sound so geeky. When I was studying, when I was going on vacation and I didn't want to like bring my computer or bring flashcards or something like that. The book is kind of big. So like you have to like want to travel with something heavy, but that is what I would bring. And I would just be like, okay, I'm going to like open the book and close my eyes. And this is the thing I'm going to read um, this morning. So I get a little bit of, you know, studying in and the foundational information that's in there will never be out to date. And I highly, highly recommend his books. Last question. I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, but not everybody is or was. If you were, is there a moment, episode, scene that still stands out to you? If you weren't, is there somebody else who was on TV, Emeril, Guy Fieri, whoever, that you always kind of gravitated towards when you were coming up through your career? Really good question. I did not get on the Bourdain wagon, not because I disliked him by any means, but I just didn't watch much TV. When I was studying, I was really strict with myself. Again, I lost balance. I lost a lot of things when I was studying. And I didn't really let myself turn on the TV. And if I did, it was mindless watching like Friends or something like that. So there's a huge, huge portion of my life that I didn't see a lot of the things that everybody else has seen. Movies, all those kinds of things included. People think I'm crazy for the stuff that I haven't seen. I had to pick one food person. I don't know why Martha Stewart is coming into my brain. I don't know if I followed her stuff or like did her recipes or something like that. Maybe because we were just talking about her the other day because we were driving down to the strip and she had this huge billboard um, on in Las Vegas. And I was like, the way she has evolved her career over like each decade to like be in consistency with the times, you know, partnering with Snoop and like doing CBD stuff. And like, it's not just like, Martha Stewart's living or whatever it was back in the day. Uh, she's like whoever this person who manages her her career and her audience and her scope, like really dials it in. And I was like, that's just incredible to have that long of a career. And like, you're still in the now, like you're still doing things that matter today. Maybe that's why she's coming to my mind. No, I mean, somebody will eventually do probably a case study on her career. Cause yeah, it was very like at home housewife focused and that was just kind of the time. And then things slowly evolved and she started loosening up a little bit. And then she went to jail for the insider trading thing. And then since then, it's been like all over the place. So. Yeah, it's so funny. Like when I worked for Southern, we were launching, selling CBD stuff. And I was like, Martha Stewart has a CBD line? What the heck? It's, it's hilarious. Like they've, they've done an incredible job with her career. Where can people find you? Social media, website, plug everything everything. Oh, that's a lot. Okay. So pretty much all of the education side is either at JWA education or www.jwaeducation.com. So it's J-W-A-U-G-H and then education.com. 
And then for the wellness side, it's the same thing. It's JWA Wellness um, at JWA Wellness for Instagram and Facebook. And then www.jwawellness.com for the website. Well, this was awesome. Your career has been immensely impressive when having to do research. It was, I had to double check and make sure I was writing most of the certifications down. I wasn't double counting things because um, there's a lot. Just everything that you've gone through, overcome, and, and kind of building what you've built up to this point too as well. It's very admirable and it's really cool to see it kind of continue to, to spider out into all these other things. And it's a great platform. You know, I use some of the resources that are on there um, too, as well as I'm, I'm starting to get into some stuff. Stay in touch. And uh, if you make it out to Vegas anytime soon, we'll hit you up, but I'm sure we'll be chatting with you. But thank you again. Stay in touch and uh, yeah, have a good rest of your night and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Big thanks again to Jessica for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of her day to come on and chat about her career and her websites, uh, jyeducation.com and JY Wellness. Uh, again, check those out if you get the chance, if it's something that you're interested in, in terms of either the nutrition and wellness aspect, or um, also the world of wine, spirits, beer, hospitality, all that stuff too. The wine side, uh, I've been a frequent browser, looker, reader. Uh, it's an invaluable resource for me. The wellness side, I haven't checked out too, too much. Um, I browsed around there, but I uh, haven't gotten super deep into it, but looking forward to, to touching base on that too as well. But, you know, she's an amazing professional. Just the super detailed knowledge that she provides um, is just fantastic. So if it's something that you're interested in, check it out. You know, like I said, she has a bunch of different uh, study um, products too as well, but also does, you know, life coaching and also tastings and wine coaching if you're studying for an exam and whatnot too as well. So pretty awesome uh, when you get somebody who's passed the master sommelier exam, kind of basically give you tips on if you wind up getting to that level, like how it's going to go, how to prepare yourself. And there is a certain aspect of where somebody can give you all the knowledge in the world and you still have to go through it and do it and experience it yourself. That is a thing, but um, being super prepared uh, as much as possible can alleviate some of that stuff too as well. So uh, again, you can follow her on Instagram at JWA Wellness and also at JWA Education. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at SpoonMob. Um, we're on all the other social medias, but pretty much just use Instagram. We are not on threads. We are not going to be on threads. I don't think anybody who's on threads is still on threads anymore, it seems like, based on stuff that I've read. So we're not on there right now. Uh, maybe that changes in the future, but um, really it's just Instagram. I like photography um, and photos. Uh, I think that is more uh, beneficial and intriguing than the world of video. The world of video is certainly entertaining. I enjoy it, but I don't want to produce it. Um, I just don't want to go through all that work to do all the editing, all the syncing up of the video and all that for, you know, not much kind of gain. So, you know, getting into the kind of the video aspect of podcast too, as well, like you have to have a just gigantic fan base because only a sliver of that fan base is going to actually want to look at the video of that. And it's going to be, uh, two screens of zoom and a conversation. So, you know, it's not like it's a studio or anything like that. So it just doesn't really make much sense in my mind, but you know, maybe down the road, we'll always leave the door cracked, but not something we plan on getting into, um, really anytime in the near future. But again, follow us on Instagram, check out the website, spoonmama.com, and then make sure to subscribe, follow the podcast, whatever platform that you use. We are also on YouTube. You can follow our YouTube channel there. We do upload everything, but again, don't do video. So it's audio only. 
run the cover art image. Some people prefer to use YouTube if they have a subscription or whatever to consume podcasts. Even when they're on the go, they just download them that way and stuff too as well. So we want to provide that to everybody who might be using that platform instead of Apple or Spotify or something else. But that is it for this week's episode. Uh, Again, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, If you've been here for a long time, thank you for your continued support. Uh, we've been in kind of a mostly wine um, lane. I mean, we've had some few chefs and, and stuff like that too as well, but we're in we're in a pretty heavy wine lane. It's just kind of worked out that way. It wasn't intentional. Some stuff's been rescheduled and, and moved around. So we do have chefs and restaurateurs and everything still on the books. So this isn't a wine only podcast or anything like that now. It's just kind of the way it's worked out. But I still think uh, the conversations are super informative, super entertaining, super enjoyable. Um, So that's kind of why we keep doing it, keep reaching out to different professionals, um, just because it's fun to talk to them just about their experiences on kind of the other side and kind of get the whole picture too. So that is it for this week. Continue to help spread the word and we will talk to you guys next week on Thursday.